BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You're the mom, the maid, the keeper of the cookies. You do it all and you look good doing it. It's parenthood on a mother level. Here's your host, Denise Hanitka. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of On a Mother Level. I'm your host, Denise Sinitka, and I have a fantastic episode for you today. A great conversation with a woman who just intrigued me from the start. So this episode is coming out along with the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 terror attacks. I know you remember where you were. I will never forget where I was. I was a senior in high school. When I was sitting in math class first thing that morning, and there was just rumblings about something had happened at the World Trade Centers in New York. I certainly had never been to New York. I don't even really think I knew what the World Trade Centers were other than, you know, these iconic buildings in New York City. And slowly it became clear, as I'm sure it did to you, that this was real and something was really happening unlike we had ever seen in this country. couple things stand out to me from that day. Number one, we were allowed to, at different times during the day, watch the coverage on TVs. I remember so much was just happening in the moment. And these reporters were on the ground saying what they heard and what they saw. And there was no other way to get information other than by watching the TV and hearing what was said. And I remember watching these reporters and thinking, okay, what, you know, what do they have that's new? You know, I'm in a passing period or um, this teacher's turning on the TV for us. What does this reporter have? And I realized I wanted to be the person who knew the next new thing that a reporter had just said. And I just found myself busying myself with, well, this is just what the news said. I heard what this reporter just said. Here's what the anchors were just saying. And it kind of slowly dawned on me, maybe not in that moment, but maybe in the months afterwards, that I wanted to be the person who knew all the things and I could tell people all of the things. And that's, I think, when the idea of going into broadcast journalism was really born. And so while I didn't know anyone in New York on that day, while I wasn't impacted personally by it, it still shaped my life in some, you know, bizarre little way. But I can really trace my decision back to those moments of not having any other way to get information other than by watching these people whose job it is to tell you. And that's my job in a nutshell. And I'm I think it's very cool to look back on that. My other 9-11 story, which is just so random because even this has changed. I was working for a wedding photographer at the time. I ran uh, the front desk in this little photography studio in Palatine, Illinois. 
And this was back when, when you had wedding photos taken, you know, you got all the proofs. So, you know, a couple would come after their wedding and they would get a giant book of all of their proofs. And then that's how they would choose their wedding photos for their albums. And the albums were, you know, an actual physical album with the photos in it, not, you know, printed out on the pages there, you know, you stick them in the little envelope holes. And so the photographer sent these photos away to like a bookbinding company to have them them all sewn up. And this bookbinder, this, you know, photo album binder person was in New York City. And I remember going to work that day. And even though, you know, time totally stood still that day, we went to work, but, you know, no one was doing any business, except for the fact that couples were calling us and brides were calling us like, well, when's my album coming in? And I remember telling them when I would answer the phone at the front desk, like, hey, so your album is actually in New York City right now. So there's nothing that we're going to be able to do about your wedding album today. So it was just kind of like a bizarre connection, like, no, I can't call New York City today. You know, probably not today, probably not tomorrow, but I'll keep you posted. My guest, Katie Richards, was at an interesting moment in life when 9-11 happened. She had joined the South Dakota Air National Guard her senior year of high school. And so when 9-11 happened, she was down in Texas training as part of the Air National Guard. Next thing you know, she's active duty Air Force, and we're about to get into a war, and she's about to volunteer to go on a deployment. And so I talked to her about that in this episode. What's cool is that Katie is now a nurse, and she's had many nursing jobs, which she talks about. She's also the mother of three, and she is currently a nurse injector at Revive at the group, which is a medical spa in Davenport, one of my favorite places to um to get a facial or a massage or, as you'll hear, Disport, another um, brand, if you will, of Botox, neurotoxin treatments. Yes, I bit the bullet. I did it. And um, I love it. And I'm never looking back. So we talk about that. We talk about skincare for the average mom. She recommends two products, two things that you need to buy to keep your skin in tip top shape. You know, we all want to fight that aging process. So she's going to help us through that. Also, before we get to Katie, you guys, I have an on a mother level update. Episode 78 featured my friend Brittany Fechner, who was um, in the middle of her pregnancy with her baby boy. And I have wonderful news that she had her baby. Baby Drake was born last week. She says she is doing well, and I hope to catch up with her. But it's very cool to talk to someone, you know, pre, pre-motherhood, pre during, you know, the pregnancy process, and then, you know, to hear her joy in um, the weeks after is very cool also. So if you did not hear um, her IVF story... That is episode 78. It is called Someone's Mom, and it features my friend Brittany. And um, her husband was only maybe four episodes later, Jason Fechner. Um, And so he kind of talks about their journey from his point of view, which is another great episode. So if you want to check out previous episodes, those are two great ones. So on to Katie Richards, you guys. This is such a fun interview. I really enjoyed talking to her. And if you haven't, check out Revive, the med spa right next to the group there in Davenport. So I start with Katie by talking about her new venture into skincare. Here we go. I still feel like I'm floating in clouds, like pinch me. It's been 
the best summer, a lot of changes, um, and I didn't expect any of it. And so for all of it to kind of come about, it's been really, really fun. Okay. So were you working in like the, the like aesthetic side, um, beforehand? No, no, I've never done aesthetics. I've never been one to like have good skin or know things. Like I was, you know, that's the last thing that was on my list as a mom. Like, I don't have time for that. I don't know about, but I have extra money. I'm not going to spend it on myself. So I was teaching at Scott. I was um, a nursing clinical instructor for their nursing program students. And I was also teaching a CNA course. And so I had that. I was comfortable. I loved it. It was flexible with my schedule. I've also been a client at Revive the last couple of years. And so I've, I've been with Kisha and Jody and Kyle. Um, I've seen all of them. So I knew a little bit about Revive and starting to notice and see all the awesome, like I couldn't, first time I got Disport, I was like, holy cow. I couldn't, be- just oh, no one else knew. So my husband didn't even know. I have a Visa Old Navy card, you know, that's Visa yeah. so you can use it anywhere. Because what's spending some money at Old Navy? No big deal, right? It's, it's for the kids. Don't worry about right. it. Cool clothes, all the things. But if it's at a medical spa to get neurotoxin, it'd be like, <laughs> what's happening? So he didn't even know I was doing it. Um, and I, and it just made me feel so good. It took away wrinkles. I mean, it just looking in the mirror, just that self-confidence of like, holy cow, you were aging and now looking like, I don't know. It was that I fell in love with that right away. So anyways, going oh, back, fine. To- let's talk about Discord for a second. Cause I did yeah. want to get there. Um, yeah. so, so I see gainer at revive and, oh, you know, I talked amazing. to her so many times about like, should I get it? Should I get it? And she was like, it is so not a big deal. Like you absolutely should get it. And I finally decided I was going to do it because I'm laying there one day with my husband. I think we were like outside on the screen and porch. And he was like, why is your makeup like settling into your lines? And I was like, what? Pardon you. Like, he was just like, you know, like asking me like a dopey question. Like, right. hey, like your makeup is like kind of goopy. And you're like, Bleh. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so now it's no longer just like me and my vanity. It's purely like, you now have makeup, like taking up yes. residence in settling. your lines. Mm-hmm. So I-, I got this board and never looked back. I think there was... Two, there was such a stigma on getting injections and what that would look like or what that type of person would do that versus it being celebrities or just the look of, you know, your face being so tight and not having expression. Um, really, until you go in for a consult or even just do some research yourself, it's so natural. Yeah. And it's not, and it's not just for... I don't know, celebrities and all the things, but for anti-aging, I didn't realize like it's a treatment to keep those wrinkles from getting deeper. Yeah. And it's the sooner you do it when those wrinkles aren't so deep, the better results you're going to get. So when you're 50 and you've never done it or 60 and you've never done it, now you've had these wrinkles for how many years? It's not, I mean, the correction is going to take a lot longer than if you can maintain that. Um, Yeah, it's, I love it. Well, I saw Jody the other day and she actually, I was like, you know, should I get a little more here? And she was like, no, like you do know. And I yep. love that. She was like, no, you're good. Like, cause I think that's always anyone's fear going in is that the person's going to be like, 
more is better, more is better, yeah. bing, 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 you know? Yep. And that's not, not the case. Not the case at all at Revive. And I love that. So Kisha, she's our nurse practitioner there. She trained me um, and Jody trained me. She's a nurse injector. But at Revive, we want natural results. We don't want someone to know that you get injections in your face. We talk about the undetectable injectable. Like we just want people to look at you and be like, wow, your skin looks really good. Or they say things like, did you do something different with your hair? Like they just don't know what it is, but they know like you look really, your eyes, you just look more awake, more alert. Your skin is soft. It changes the texture and just um, the softening of the skin and the fine lines. Yeah, it's, it's my favorite. <laughs> like I am, I have my dream job. This is so much fun. Okay, but we all like watched like the Friends reunion and like the Sex and the City like revival that's happening right now. Kristen Davis, you know, has that like really puffy filler look. Courtney Cox had like a bad filler moment. Everybody's really freaked out by that stuff. So is that like bad technique? Is that overdoing it? What's going wrong there? So it's it's the look. Um, I mean we don't like that look like we want it more natural. Can you tell I have some cheek filler? And no, I cannot tell. My husband couldn't tell. My parents couldn't tell. <laughs> and, and it was, it's so subtle, but it just, I mean, it just, I have a cheeky face. Um, and it just made me thin. It kind of thinned out my face and gave me some contour that I didn't have. Um, and so, yeah, it's overfilling. Okay. And, I mean, I'm sure they're going to wonderful injectors and all the things, but it's, I don't know, it might just be the look or it's, it's not here in the quad cities. That look is not what we want in the quad. It's not here. You know, it's yeah. kind of, the looks are different in um, Hollywood and Texas and New York and all the things, but um, yeah, it's so are they like accidentally getting that look or do you think they're asking for it or just like they don't they're not told no enough I don't know that could be it not told no I mean when people come in and want to spend money there are injectors and places that are like yeah let's do this let's do you want this yep let's do everything and Kisha and Jody is they're amazing and you go in for a filler consult they'll tell you what you need and what you don't need and what it's going to look like and yeah they want those natural subtle beautiful results Okay. So what else? And obviously we're talking about like, you know, disposable income and, you know, moms are notoriously bad about this, but like, what else should we be doing? You know, to my moms in our thirties and forties, what do we need to be doing? Cause I've like thought about like, should I be like looking at some like laser for some sunspots or I don't know, what are some just bare bones stuff we should be doing right now? Right. So moms that don't have a big budget or can come and see us a couple times a year. What should I be doing? Two main things. Anyone over the age of 30, 35 should be on a vitamin C serum in the morning. That's going to lighten, tighten, and brighten your skin. It needs to be a medical grade vitamin C serum. It's not the same over-the-counter products. This is higher potency um, of the L-ascorbic acid. It's research-driven. I mean, the results are there. Lastly, second thing, big thing is at night, you need to be on a retinol or a tretinoin is what we call it. So that is going to help um, that skin cell process where our skin cells replace 
Every 28 days, they die off and shut off, right? So using a retinoid or tretinoin helps that cycle um, speed up. It speeds up that cycle. So we're always having that fresh baby skin on our surface. Fine lines, wrinkles, texture, all those things. So if you can afford two things or do two things that are really going to impact your skin, I would say it's that vitamin C in the morning and the um, tretinoin at night. And we got to quit playing around with like the 99 dollars yeah. nonsense. Yes. It's, I mean, to really, to be able to say it's a retinol, how much retinol do you really need in that product versus all the fillers that they add to it? It's with everything. Um, so really having a medical grade product is probably the most important. It's going to be more expensive. Yes, but it is going to be worth it. And you're going to see your results. Well, yeah. And like these products, you're not like lumping like a quarter size amount. They, they go right. the wrong way. They do. Vitamin C serum. It's three to four drops in the morning. And then your tretinoin is a pea size amount, just a tiny bit amount. You're putting it on the outsides of your face and you're feathering it into the middle. Okay. So it's last, it will last you. Yes. So it, definitely worth it. Also, it's like, I don't know. I kind of talk about it, like going to the dentist. We go twice a year. Well, what we are we do. doing in between? <laughs> right. You should, right? <laughs> Not a favorite place to go, but you should be going. So what are you doing in between the dentist? You're brushing, you're flossing, you're swishing. You might be doing some teeth whitening. You're doing things to help your teeth out. Well, same for your face. You can't just come in for neurotoxin and expect the results to be the best they could be or last as long as they could last. Same with your hair, right? We're getting trims. We're getting our roots touched up. Your face needs that too. You need facials every six to eight weeks. They would recommend going in and just getting your face, just all that top layer stuff cleaned off. So all the bottom beautiful skin can come to the surface. Chemical peels, two to three a year. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is too much. I can't do all of this don't, you don't have to. It's just, these are things that will help your skin and will keep it beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. We all learn from each other because we all, our services should go in hand in hand, but they're the skincare experts. So they're the ones that help us like, Hey, these are products that everyone should be using. They really help us with our services, with our neurotoxin or injections or fillers. Like, Hey, you can be doing this, but there are these things that they also need to be doing. So that's been great to, to learn and share all the things with them. So how does this Katie, the Katie, who's all about the skincare jive with, um, the Katie who signed up for the air force in high school. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I would have never thought number one, I, I can't believe I joined the air force air national guard totally different person. Like I have grown so much and I think evolved. Um, so my dad was a Marine. Marines are amazing, right? They're like the toughest of the tough. Um, so he's like, Oh yeah, join the air national guard. It's like a walk in the park. You know, um, I joined security forces. So my dad was an infantry and then he's a retired U S marshal. So law enforcement was his life. I always loved law, like I just idolized him, loved law enforcement. I'm like, yeah, that's, I totally want to do something like that. Um, so I joined security forces, which is the military police for the Air National Guard. Um, also more bang for your buck. You got the most money for college. Why not do it? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, you'll be checking IDs at the gate. Like it's no big deal. It's going to be fine. 
And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll do this. So um, went to basic training and that was life-changing. Like I went from, I mean, I worked, KFC was my first job in high school. (laughs) Worked there for about three years. Um, And then I worked at a salon, which was super fun. My junior and senior year in high school where we sold products. So I was just like at the cashier selling products. So that's kind of when, um, I don't know, I didn't, I was always girly, um, but I loved that job, obviously a little more than KFC, right? <laughs> so um, so going into the Air Force and basic training, I mean, it was a total 180 for me. I was not bratty as a teenager, but I was a little snobbish in, sure, into sure. my looks and um, maybe had a smart mouth a little bit. Um, and it, I grew up, I mean, just the maturity and the sacrifice and the self-learning and all the things that happen in basic training. Um, I think sometimes it really hits home with some people and sometimes it doesn't, well, it hit home with me and changed my life. Yeah. Um, and well, then going- specifically, cause you know, when you think about basic training, you think about physical, you think about like push-ups yeah. to die in, in that the physical part wasn't horrible. Um, I wasn't the worst one there. I didn't play sports growing up, um, but I could run. I was in, would say in shape. Um, So not being the worst one is always best. And then not being the best one, right? You just want to like go right in the middle and not have anyone look at you. My dad told me that he's like, don't raise your hand. Don't volunteer. Don't do any of the things. Just be there. And I took that with all of all my heart. The physical part wasn't so bad, but it's like, you go without everything you had. I mean, you're not doing your hair. You're not doing your makeup. You're showering with 15 other girls. You have to help each other out and work together. Otherwise everyone is suffering the consequences. So just learning, you know, that all those things that I thought mattered didn't matter at all there. Yeah, like It was just a totally different environment. It strips you from all of those material things and things that you think um, are important and really makes you look on the inside on the grits and guts that it takes to just do these tasks. It's, it's like a game, but it's, I mean, when you're in the nitty gritty of it, it's a lot as an 18 year old, <laughs> it's, it's a lot. Yeah. An 18 year old who knows better and can figure this out and doesn't need any help. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So how long was it? How many weeks? I want to say was, was it six weeks? That seems like, yeah, I want to say it was six weeks. Um, and where was it at? Where was was it? Lackland, Lackland air force base in Texas. Okay. In Lackland, Texas. So that's where Every, so it doesn't matter if you're National Guard or Active Duty Air Force, that's where everyone goes for basic training. So it's this, you get the same exact training if you're Active Duty or National Guard. Um, so that was kind of cool. I mean, you meet people from all over the country. And so after basic training, then um, I was able to stay at Lackland Air Force Base for the Security Police Academy is what it was called. And that was a 12-week program. And it was during that program um, or training that 9-11 happened. Wow. And we thought it was a drill. Like, I mean, every, you never know what's coming up. Like you're, you know, if something comes, you just react to it and you deal with it. And it's like, is this another part of our training? So we were actually cleaning our, um, we had just shot, um, at the range, our M16s 
and we were cleaning them. And then all of a sudden it was like sirens, people everywhere, like get your weapons, get inside. It was, I mean, I have goosebumps um, just thinking about what that day was like. They had the TV and it was one on a, on a cart that you wheeled in, if that ages me any. They wheeled the TV you know, yeah, into the room. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And turned the TV on and we were watching the news, the towers and the planes hitting the towers. But we honestly had no idea what was going on. If it was a drill or like, are we being tested? What's happening? Um, but then you saw the real side of, of our instructors and the emotion and we're like, oh my gosh, this is really happening. And it changed everything from that day on things were different. Like we were on strict protocols. We couldn't have free time after we were done with training. Like we went to our barracks and we were in our, in our rooms, phone calls home. Like I was worried, like they were saying us marshals were going um, to New York and like, is my dad going to New York? Like you didn't, it, we didn't have cell phones. If that ages us even more, mm-hmm. like I didn't have a cell phone with me. We had places we went to use the phone. And so it's not like I could text, like, are you okay? What's happening at home? So that fear, the unknown too, of what he was doing and what was happening. Um, it was so scary. Yeah. How were your superiors reacting? Because, you know, nothing had happened for for years and years and years. Like, I mean, I just remember their eyes like being so big and then looking at each other and like trying to like figure out what they're going to do with us and what's happening. Um, it was, and it was some of the, you know, mean, um, instructors that, you know, are always yelling and in your face. I was like, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be scared right now. And you're like, Holy cow, what's happening. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, I'll never forget that day ever. Yeah. Um, and then coming home. So after that we finished training. So I was coming home in November. I was supposed to start college spring semester. And that changed because I came home and I was now active duty air force and we were backfilling for air force bases for those troops or airmen that were going overseas. We were then going to their home base to take care of security at their base. And so I went on, I want to say just one deployment to um, Boise, Idaho Air Force Base. And so that was, I mean, that was an an experience um, to be away from home and, you know, thinking I was going to college, but nope, here I am being a security force airman guarding this base um, during a war, which wasn't officially a war yet. I want to say one thing I do really remember that still touches me is coming home on the airplane, getting off the airplane, driving home and seeing American flags everywhere. That was like, there was no traffic anywhere. I remember, but the American flags in everyone's yard on all the businesses waving, I'll never forget that. And the smell of grass. Well, that's when I come back from overseas, but yeah, mainly the, the American flags and just seeing them. Everyone had one. Everyone. Yeah. Okay. So you were in Boise. What happened after going to Boise? After Boise, then we um, came back to the base. So we had so many, I don't remember how long we were there. So many weeks or months came home and then there was big talk about a deployment overseas and, um, and things weren't really, you know, we didn't know a lot about what was going on overseas. Really. It wasn't 
that exciting yet, I, I guess, I'd, for lack of a better word. Um, my dad's like, you should volunteer to go on that first deployment. N like, it's not that bad right now. Like, you know, things are only going to get worse. You should, you should go. Um, so I volunteered to go on that first deployment uh, at 19. Was I 18? 19. Just turned 19. And so we went overseas to Doha, Qatar, or Qatar, different ways of pronouncing it. Um, and I was there 110 days, which doesn't seem like a long time. But when you're in the Air National Guard, you're kind of spoiled and you get 90 day deployments. And these Marines and Army troops that are there for a year or longer. So we really had it good. I mean, it was, yeah, I can, I can survive 90 days. Look at it, what everyone else is doing. Um, but after the 90 days, every day was so long, 100, yeah. you know, 100 days, 105 days, are we ever going home? Um, but it was, right now, it makes me think about what's going on and seeing the reporters in Doha. And we were, our camp or our base that was set up was right across, we shared the international airport. And so we had all our, we had C-130s, C-17s flying in. They would, we would share the runway and then we had a runway over to our base. So thinking about now all the things that are going on in that area is so scary. Did you feel safe at that time or what was the feeling for you? Yeah, um, I did feel safe. We had, um, I mean, it was just the Air Force security forces securing the base and patrolling, but we had Marines. There were um, Navy there, Army, kind of everyone doing their own thing separate, but in our camp, it was when bin Laden was hiding in the mountains. If you remember that, that's I when um, I was overseas. So a lot of it was protecting whatever we were flying in and out of that area, protecting that base, making sure that uh, Marines and other troops and soldiers could go where they needed to go. I kind of felt like we were kind of a zone that a lot of things came in and then left. Um, but I, I did feel safe. There was one night on a patrol. So we had towers that we were in and then there were mobile patrols, lots of other posts. Um, but I was in one of the mobile patrols as the M6, M60 machine gunner in the turret of the Humvee. That's little me. The, the only, there were only two girls, me and another airman. And she was from um, my flight that went over all the rest were men. So it was insane. Number one, just that we were patrolling the perimeter. That was one of our jobs and went out to the perimeter. There was a car that came parked, turned its lights off. Someone got out of the vehicle, laid down to pray. Well, what is that told us that either it's not the time to pray usually, because usually we'll hear music from the airport. So they're usually praying before a bomb goes off or before they die. Right. So here I am, knees shaking, like with my, you know, pulling back to um, get my gun ready and nothing ended up happening. He ended up getting in his car and leaving, but that was the only excitement I saw, which is good. That was enough for me. <laughs> I didn't need to see anymore. We had a lot of security meetings every day before we would go on shift. So there were so many things we heard, but honestly, being so young, a lot of it just went right over my head. I didn't really 
you know, I didn't really, I just knew I needed to go to this post and this is what I was doing. And I followed the rules. Like a lot of it just kind of went in one ear and out the other. Just tell me what to do. I don't really know what's going on. Yeah. Which is kind of scary to think about now. (laughs) Overall, did you feel like you were prepared for the job you were asked to do there? Yeah. I mean, we, I knew all the weapons and I, um, in the towers, we would have an M249 semi-automatic, um, I carried the M16 when we had the M60 machine gun. We had two barrels, 800 rounds. We also carried an M9 on our hip. Uh, The police academy in Lackland was amazing. I mean, you're comfortable with all the weapons. You know how to shoot them. You know how um, to fire safe anything, um, any fails, clean them, take them apart, all the things. So, yeah, I felt like in that aspect, I was fine. Um, It was scary in the point of when you were in the tower, we worked nights. And so you were in the tower for 14 hours and it was pitch black dark and you're by yourself. And so you have night vision. I mean, you're to be alert the whole time watching all your surroundings. So that was scary. My, I didn't really remember until my stepmom mentioned, she's like, do you remember you slept with the lights on for almost a year when you got home? And I didn't even remember that. Um, or like feeling, I don't know. I didn't remember that. Um, but yeah, she's like, yeah, you didn't sleep with the lights off. So I'm sure there were things that scared me at the time, but I just worked through it and did my job. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was, we did get to go off base one time. Um, and in cutter any on women, women should always stand behind men is what we were told. And any skin that was exposed was open to touch. And so they didn't, you know, obviously the more clothes you wear, the better. Um, But we went to this mall and going off base and into Doha was amazing. It was like in a different world. It was beautiful. It was luxurious. I mean, the landscaping and the buildings, the restaurants, the mall had like three levels. It had an ice skating rink in it. I mean, it had escalators. It had all the fashionable stores and um, designers. You're like, what is happening? Like, where am I right now? Um, So that was interesting. I mean, just to go and experience that, that was our one and only time when we did leave base, we were in a van with curtains. Women had to sit in the back and then something happened. Our security clearance or something with security happened that our threat level increased. And that was our only time we were allowed off base. So that was pretty early on. So I'm just assuming that, you know, things were getting hot outside and they didn't want us to leave base anymore, but it was a, we went um, on a boat in um, parasailing. I mean, it was amazing. Wow. So are you glad you took your dad's advice to, to volunteer for that deployment? 100%. Yes. Um, there were lots of other deployments afterwards. They were longer than our, than our first deployment, you know, and it was like everyone taking a turn and going. So to have that kind of checked off, like I went on one, um, it felt good to be able to go and serve my country and say that I was able to go overseas and support, um, our country and everyone. Um, but yeah, I'm glad I went first. Yeah. Did anything else like have a lasting impact? I mean, obviously you don't remember sleeping with the lights on, but was there any, was there any mental struggle of, of coming back? I really felt like I never had anxiety or kind of really knew what that felt like. 
I wasn't scared. A lot of things didn't um, bother me even early on in my nursing career. Like, I don't think it really settled in. Maybe, I don't know till after I had kids that I'm kind of like, what is this feeling? And just, I don't know. I don't really know how to explain it. Um, I just did my job. I knew what to do. I wasn't scared doing it. Um, even after the air force and going into college, I was like, what am I going to do? I had no idea what I wanted to do. Now, my experience did tell me that I did not want to do law enforcement. (laughs) So that was good. I still wouldn't change it for anything. It totally shaped me and gave me confidence and leadership skills. So many things that I don't think I would have gotten anywhere else. So I wasn't afraid to do anything or try anything. Look what I had already done. So not a lot of things scared me or got me riled up um, easily. So afterwards, my boyfriend's sister was in the nursing program. And I'm like, well, I have no idea what I'm going to do. He's like, well, you should do nursing. I'm like, well, what do you have? What classes do you take? And he's like, they're all here for you. You don't even pick them. And I'm like, done, right? Sign me up. I need someone. I need it written out. Someone to tell me what I need to do when I need to do it. That's what I was used to. Um, So I joined, I did the nursing program. And I don't, I'm so glad that fell in. I almost feel like it fell in my lap. I wouldn't have chosen it. And it's such a good choice. I've loved every bit of it, every bit of my career. Um, And I've done lots of different things. And each job has helped me move to my next job. It's just nursing is amazing. All the different things you can do, specialties, skills that you need. I've always advanced on each skill set, I feel like, to the next job. As a baby nurse, brand new nurse, I went on a medical floor and they tell you back in school, you should go to the medical floor. This is where you learn your assessment skills and you learn about all the things and you need to do this first. And so I did, and I did learn a lot. I had um, what's called a rapid response where something's happening with your patient. You know, it's emergent. You don't know what's happening, but you know, you need help. And so after that, I said, well, I want to be that help. I want to know what's happening and I want to know how to do it or how to treat it. So my next job was moving to the emergency room and it was in Lexington, Kentucky, probably my favorite job. It was a 22 bed ER. We were chest pain, stroke um, credentialed. It was an ER full of green nurses, young nurses that, you know, only, you know, maybe brand new up to five years experience. The doctors were amazing. They wanted us to learn. It was a learning environment. You were never alone. You never felt alone. It was just amazing. Love it. I just, we would move back in a heartbeat if we could. I love it. And still talk with my friends there. That was back in 08 and 09. I kind of skipped over when I met my husband. I met him at SDSU. I was taking generals there and then I switched over to USD. That's, we don't need to talk about that. But anyways, I met my husband there. He was going to grad school in South Dakota. He went to undergrad at um, SIU in Southern Illinois. Okay. How he made it to South Dakota to pick wildlife and fisheries from SDSU. I don't know, but it was perfect. He's a dream. So he finished grad school before me. So then when I finished nursing school, He wanted to move closer to home. So we moved to Southern Illinois. That was my medical floor job. Then we moved to, and this was all for his job as a fisheries biologist. 
he's building his resume. A nurse can move anywhere. Yeah. She can get any job anywhere. So it was easy for us. Then Grace was born six when she was six weeks old. We came to the Quad Cities. I didn't even get to see our house. But the weekend before my water, before I went to labor, so he went out of town Friday to look at houses in the Quad Cities with his parents, came to help out, looked around, um, found our house, loved it. He came home Saturday night. I went into work. My water broke at work. Oh my gosh. Good it place. Was, <laughs> it was, yes, it was. And I'll, everyone will always remember. I'll always remember. I was in a patient room and I'm like, I think I just peed my pants. <laughs> I'm like squirting out, like going out of the room, like, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> and every step was like more and more. And then I just got out in the middle and I'm like, oh my gosh, I think my water broke. And it was like fire hydrant and everyone's clapping and cheering. <laughs> and the, my patient's like, I think my nurse needs help. <laughs> but it wasn't expected. I was 36 weeks and six days. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's a little early. Yes, it was, but she was seven, seven and healthy. So I'm glad that happened. <laughs> she was, she would have been huge, I think. <laughs> um, so that was exciting. So six weeks later, we moved here to the Quad Cities and I start at Unity Point Health or it was Trinity Hospital and their ER, 10 bed ER. So a lot smaller. The, my staff or my um, coworkers were older. So it was like 40, 50s and 60s. So definitely a different work environment. And here I am with a new baby. I was breastfeeding, but then in an ER in a new place with other women that don't necessarily care that much, you're not getting the pump. You're not, it was hard. It was, and I was still postpartum. So all of the things that are happening to you when you're postpartum, um, it was a lot. And I was so sad. And I think it's just because I loved Kentucky so much. I loved that work environment. I loved my coworkers. Um, it was hard, but I said, give it six months don't love or hate anything for six months. Um, so I stayed and I still hated it in six months. <laughs> so, um, I went to ambulatory surgery there in the hospital. I loved, I loved that job. So it, it kept up with my ACLS. So that advanced cardiac life support. So kind of extra skills that you need getting patients ready for surgery, recovering them after surgery. So a lot of education went in with that. We were also the infusion center. So anyone that came in, you know, that maybe had a chest porch or different accesses, dialysis, anything, they came in. So we were treating them. We did pain. I considered us like the redheaded stepchild of the hospital. Anything any other floor didn't do, we did. Um, Cause I, that was the job. I got pregnant with twins while I was working there and was able to go. So I went all the way up until working full-time being on call. I remember one weekend we were called in four times for an, an endoscopy case. And I said, I'm going to go into labor. If you call me in again, like, yeah, like stop call. You know, once you're, once you're so far along in pregnancy, you probably can relate. Your tongue gets a little short and you kind of can say more things that you probably wouldn't say. <laughs> so I'm just like, don't call me in anymore this weekend. Like this is enough. And sure enough, the next week I went for just a normal non-stress test due to the twins pregnancy. The nurses rushed in like after me being on the monitor for just a few minutes. And she's like, do you feel that? Do you know you're contracting? You're contracting every four minutes. I'm like this feeling, I feel like this all the time. What are you talking right. About? Right. I have two babies in here. Like it's all the feelings. I'm always rock hard. Like it's always a lot. 
And so then I had to get checked and I was dilated at four centimeters. Oh, for sake. So then, then things just started happening so fast. Preterm labor sent to Moline via ambulance. I was on a mag drip. When I got to Moline, they put two 18 gauge IVs in each arm as a nurse. You know, 18 gauge is the biggest usually a gauge needle that they would use for blood products or emergencies. So I'm like, oh my gosh, am I going to die? Am I going to have babies? Like what's happening? That's probably what scared me the most is a nurse, you know, things more than you'd want to know. Sometimes I wasn't an OB nurse, so I don't know. I didn't know all the things, but I knew enough to know when people were acting fast in doing certain things that that meant um, it was serious. So how many weeks were you then when this is happening? 33. Okay. Okay. So I was in the hospital four days, stopped labor, thank God, went home on bed rest and on medication to help with contractions. I was in and out of the hospital a couple times after that with contractions, but then I was on my FMLA, right? So I'm missing work, but I'm also using my time up from when the babies are supposed to be born. Oh no. 12 weeks. So that's already started now at 33 weeks. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So that stress on me was every day was like, I wanted them to grow more. I want them, you know, to stay in as long as they can. But then I'm like, I'm not going to have any time with them when they're born. If we're going, you know, how long are we going to go? The fact that you have to worry about that and other women have to worry about that is absurd. I know. Yes. That's all. That was more stress than anything was like, oh my gosh, they're going to be born. I'm going to have to go to work in like a few weeks. Um, that was the hardest part and knowing, yeah, that my time every single day was a day off being with them, um, after they were born was really hard. Um, but I made it to my water broke in the middle of the night at home on the couch, because that's where I slept at that time. Cause I was so huge. Um, and I wouldn't even like stand up to get off the couch. Like I'd kind of roll down onto my knees to get on the floor and then I'd have the couch help me stand up. Um, I was 36 weeks and four days when my water broke and they told me after 36 weeks, I'd be able to deliver at the Bettendorf hospital that likely we wouldn't need the NICU, um, being preterm, I did get the steroid and steroid shots for their lungs to help develop. So that happened at 33 weeks when they thought babies were coming. Um, so they felt comfortable that if we made it to this point, you could deliver in Bettendorf. So we went in and honestly, it, I went in, she checked me 30 minutes later. She checked me. She's like, Oh my gosh, don't push. Do you feel anything? And I'm like, no, I have an epidural. I feel great. Like, I don't feel like she's like, well, don't sneeze. Don't do anything. And they take you to the OR because with twins, you have to deliver in the OR. So there I am laying flat on the OR table, which was zero fun. Not comfortable. A huge group of people, like 18 people in there, you know, all the nurses, anesthesia, um, neonatologists and the NICU nurses. And then the nursery, everyone was in there. And all I'm worried about is pooping in front of everybody. I'm like, please, I know everybody in this room. Please, I don't want to poop when I push. (laughs) And Dr. Bruneau is who delivered um, the twins. She's like, Katie, it's fine. No one's going to know. And I'm like, oh my gosh, please don't let me. I don't know. Can you you fix that? Can you like do something to make me? She's like, we're just, you'll be fine. 
Um, and I was, and I didn't poop, thank God. But I love though that as a nurse, you can admit that like you're still like a human and you worry about that stuff. Cause I actually had a conversation with my friends this past weekend about like who pooped and who didn't. <laughs> and they don't care, right? I mean, it happens. It's no big deal. Like it's not even like something they chart, like this mom pooped this many times. Like, <laughs> you know, like no big deal. It happens. But yeah, so three little pushes, easy, easy. Emma came right out screaming. She was six pounds, 0.3 ounces. Um, perfect. And then there was some change. So then I'm like, okay, so then they feel for second baby. And he decided to, with all that extra room, flip, put his arms and legs like straight out, like, look at me, like I'm lounging on a, you know, um, they did ultrasound. They're like, yeah, he flipped. So we waited, tried to maneuver him to flip back. Nope. Didn't want to. What a punch. So I had a C-section as well that day. Yep. (laughs) Oh, what? Yeah. So that, yep, sure did. So, um. So he came out and he wasn't making a lot of noise. And I was, we had talked if I had a C-section that I would do a tubal ligation. Um, So we had that planned and had already talked about that. Well, he, when they delivered him, he was quiet. I didn't hear him cry and I didn't see anything. I'm covered, you know, behind the tarp or whatever, um, or the curtain. Um, And so she's like, okay, so next we'll start with that tubal ligation um, you know, are you sure? I don't remember really what she said. And I'm like, well, how's Brody? <laughs> and she's like, well, they're working on him. Well, number one, you don't say that to a nurse, right? Um, he was fine. He, and he was quiet and that's his nature now, which is so sweet. And when he was a baby, he was so sweet. Um, he was seven pounds, four ounces. Wow. That's big. Huge. Yes. They both didn't need oxygen. They didn't need anything after they were born. They were with me the whole time. Um, it was probably the most uncomplicated, complicated pregnancy that you could have with twins. They were called die, die twins. So they both had their own, um, amniotic sac and their own placenta, which helps, you know, with a twin pregnancy. Um, but up until right, that 33 weeks preterm labor after that, I mean, everything, everything was pretty smooth. Yeah. Um, so going back to work though, they were six weeks. I want to say when I had to go back to work um, and that was heartbreaking. Like, I don't even thinking back now, I don't even know how I did that. I was did your body do that. No idea. I was nursing. Um, I mean, so many nights, like I just, there were memories that'll pop up on Facebook. Like this morning, Nate and I woke up and our first words weren't, I'm sorry, because usually it was, I'm sorry for how I acted in the middle of the night when I was, you know, both of us, like we would take turns. Emma cried all the time. Brody was sweet and didn't really fuss much, but when Emma wasn't fussing, Brody fussed. So, I mean, it was constant nonstop. And then finding daycare, well, like all the things I'm like, I'm, it was, yeah. Well, and meanwhile, you had a two-year-old, almost two-year-old. Oh my gosh, Grace. How can I forget about her? Well, she was, yeah. She was so sweet. She was amazing. She accepted these babies, I think, better than Nate and I. She adapted. Um, she was like their mother. They were her babies. She was so mature. I mean, she she was potty trained before she was two. She Her vocabulary was there. 
um, she had, you know, baby dolls, twin baby dolls before they were born. You know, this was her sister, Emma. This was Brody. Yeah. We had all the baby things out. She knew how they worked. She was ready for these babies to come home and she loved them, loved them dear. She could change diapers, Denise, at two and a half. Wow. She, it what was, a little mommy. <laughs> the little, yes, the videos can, will make me cry every time I watch them. Like it's so sweet. So she was amazing. She's like, yeah, my brother and sister are here. Like, this is life. I love it. And we were very thankful for her because <laughs> I couldn't imagine you know, her being one that didn't care for them or had a regression or she was, she was perfect. She helped us get through it, I think. Um, But then going, going back to work and being on call, um, we would take like a week of call to where you were on call 24 hours for a whole week. And then you would get three weeks off. But I really don't even know how I functioned or how Nate functioned on I would be up in the middle of the night nursing, lay my head down only to get a call to go into work. And then by the time you got home, it was actually time to go to work for the day. And so I knew that this was too much. It was, yeah. um, I also think I had some, well, I know now I had some postpartum depression going on that I didn't want to talk about why I don't know, just because you're a nurse or you think you can deal with it yourself. I didn't. So that is adding on to all of this. Um, but then Dr. Bruno, so I worked with her in ambulatory, right? She would bring patients, she had patients that would have surgery. Um, she said, you know, we have an opening in our office for a triage nurse. You should call down and apply. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Yes. Monday through Friday, no weekends, no holidays. Um, yes, it was amazing. So the twins were already a year old by the time I took that job. That was a long time to do what you were doing. Yeah. Like Denise, I'm telling you, I don't even, it was such a blur. Yeah. It was such a blur going to date. Nate worked on the arsenal, uh, but the arsenal, that's where Grace would go to daycare, but they didn't have room for the twins. So then we had to do, they had like an off campus, like to where people did it inside their home, but they were affiliated with the arsenal. So we found a mom, um, Miss Patricia who was amazing. And she had taken, we interviewed her. She had taken care of triplets and twins in the past, but I was worried because Emma was fussy. I describe her as an adult born into a baby. Like she was mad that you didn't know what she wanted. And she was trying to tell you and she wanted to tell you and she wanted to do things herself, but she's just a baby. So she can't. So she just screamed all the time. Um, yes. And so I was worried about her. And, you know, sending her to someone else's house and what if she's too, you know, all the things, what if she's too fussy? What if she can't comfort her? What if she gets mad because she's crying all the time? Um, But I'm telling you, Patricia was amazing. I remember picking, going up one day to pick Emma up and she was swaddled and she was swinging and she's like, is she swaddled too tight? And I looked at her and she was swaddled pretty snug. And I said, is she quiet? And she's like, yeah. And I go, then no. She's like, it was both like, you tell me what you're doing during the day. So I can continue that. It was, it was just like, let's help each other. I don't know what we need to do. And she was like, you are so, um, I don't remember what she called me. Just go with the flow. Like she was so nervous that she would do things wrong or that I didn't want her to do. And I'm like, 
no, like, I don't know what to do. Like you tell me what you're doing so I can do it. And um, I think that helped with her stress and my stress of her taking care of Emma, knowing that we both know what, how Emma's like. And Brody's just a sweet little thing that you feed him and he smiles and just sits there. I mean, he was so sweet. That was that first year. It was hard. And then they did get spots on the arsenal for daycare. And we actually turned it down the first time because we couldn't leave her. Yeah. We were so in love. And like, she loved my babies like hers. And um, so that, that's, that is a good thing. I mean, I guess that we had that and had her because I don't think I would have survived without her. Um, she even did like evenings and stuff for us when it was busy. It wasn't like, come get your kid by 430 or, you know. Um, it was a relationship and a friendship that was built. So I don't regret any of it. Now these babies are 12 and 10, you know, and like you talk about it, like it was yesterday. Cause you remember it and you feel it. You can, Uh you still feel all the things looking at a picture or even just having this conversation and talking about it. It takes me back. It takes me right back to that. And it's been a blink. I'm telling, we've been in the same house. They've gone to the same elementary school, but how has this happened that now I have a daughter in junior high, which is insane to think about. I'm like, how does she keep getting older and I'm not getting older? (laughs) That's weird that I keep staying at the same age, but my kids keep growing. Um, Yeah, it's been so fun to see them grow and to see them do all the things and for my career to continue to grow. Um, When the twins were in kindergarten, I took a break from nursing. And I actually thought I was done with nursing. Um, just a lot of the, the kids being sick or school activities or needing time off. And you can't really do that in an office setting. And when you don't have time off, you can't take it. So then it was just Nate getting to do all the things. And I just felt like a robot. Like I was getting up, getting the kids ready, their daycare, go to work, come home, supper, bath time, bedtime, get up, go to work. Like that was all I was doing. Um, I just didn't feel like it was enough. So I took a couple years off and I actually worked at their school when they started kindergarten. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad I did that. It was good for them. It was their first time being separated because they had been, the twins had been together, you know, in daycare through pre-K Um, So to see them separate and grow, Brody really depended on Emma quite a bit to see them grow and have their own stories when they came home. It was great, but I missed nursing. There was a school nurse position that came available. School nursing positions never become available. Like someone retires in that position. Yeah. And so I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I want to do this. This is amazing. And I tried it and it's the worst nursing job I've ever had in my life. Oh no. Hated it hated every second of it. And I hate, and I feel really bad saying that, but that was the worst year of my life. I hated it. There were several like tummy aches and passing out prescriptions. And I think there were several factors. Me mainly with being a nurse in the hospital and the clinic. I don't know if we're spoiled. We're given all the tools we need. We're surrounded by help, right? We have a doctor, we have other nurses here to help us. Um, As a school nurse, you have nothing. You're healthcare in an education world, which was different. So your boss is a principal who has no idea what a nurse does or medical background. So that was hard for me. I would see 130 kids a day. 40 of them would get medication. Three of them were diabetics and needed insulin, carb counting for meals. 
And then the others were, yeah, I have a headache. I have a stomach ache. I don't want to be in class. So I'm going to go to the nurse type thing. And I'm like, this is not safe nursing practice. This, I just, this isn't for me. Like, I just felt like I wasn't compassionate. Like I lost all compassion and empathy and was just, you know, I'm like, <laughs> nope, not for me. But that's when that year also, I started doing clinicals on the side on the weekend, um, nursing clinicals for Scott. And I was like, man, this is fun. This is amazing. I loved it. I loved seeing, um, being that nurse for new nursing students going out. I feel like there was such a environment of nurses eat their young when I started. And I still feel like it's still there at some point. Um, but to be that person to encourage them and be like, Hey, not all nurses are like that. Like be the change, you know, it starts with you. Um, but just to be there to help them learn all those first things, first time they're touching someone first, you know, assessing a patient, um, first like AccuCheck or poking their finger to check a blood sugar. I mean, these are real things that they finally get to do. So that was fun. And that's what introduced me into the teaching world. Um, and then I started teaching the CNA course at Scott and again, loved it, loved everything about that class worked perfect for when kids were at school, I could take them to school, go teach. And then I would be home by two 30. They would get done at two 50. I mean, it was an amazing schedule. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Couldn't be happier. And then that basically leads us to where we are today. Yeah. So my neighbor and I, Jen, good friends started going to yoga at tapas and we love yoga. Hot yoga is probably my favorite now. Um, but one of our instructors had worked at revive and I'm like, well, that's really weird. I mean, just, there were a lot of coincidences that were happening all at once. I applied. It was like in April. It was a long interview process. Like I told you, I hate small talk, but here I am like rambling and babbling all the way. I love it. I love Um, it. But interviews are scary. Whether you've done them, I've done plenty of interviews, but to know that you're going in a room and people are going to nitpick and take apart everything you say. And that when you leave that room, they're talking about you. It's like the worst feeling in the world. If I didn't get it, you know, no big deal, but what a wonderful thing to happen. And I'm so glad it did. Yeah. Okay. So I'm feeling supremely jealous right now because I feel like if you're a high school kid listening to this, which I don't have many high school listeners, you want a job that's versatile, can take you places, either you're passionate about it or like, you're just looking to find that passion. Like, gosh, it just seems like I should have become a nurse. Oh my, uh, there, seriously, there are so many different things you can do as nursing, which is amazing. You don't have to work in a hospital. You don't have to work in a clinic, like so many different things. And I never thought that this is what I would be doing and I couldn't be happier. And everyone at Revive wants to be the best at what they do. Yeah. Um, There's always education this job, I received so much training. I told them, I'm like, I'm an experienced nurse. So I didn't expect that. Right. But the intense training and all the knowledge, all the things they want you to know, to be your best, they want you to succeed. They're invested in your, you know, and how well you do and how you feel it. Amazing. Um, I'm just trying to figure out how revive can hire me and what skill set I can use to convince people to hire me. What do you need me to do? Because I will do it. I want to work at Revive. Yeah, all of it. It's all of us knowing all the things and learning from each other and wanting to make it the best place for everybody in the Quad Cities. 
I guess let's end on a couple of things. Number one, is there any like schedule advice that you can give moms for this, like back to school transitionary time, anything really working well for you? That's a good question. Yeah. You have to have a schedule and you have to stick with it. Yeah. Um, Kids need that and it helps them know what to expect. I think knowing what to expect, they do better. So my kids know when they come home from school, they're washing their hands, putting their stuff away, getting a snack, and then there's some free time, right? They need to decompress and do things. Keeping a strict bedtime schedule, which gets more lax as the older they get. But I feel having that same routine, even for littles, dinner, bath time, relax time, bedtime, and knowing they're going to know what to expect. After bath time, I know that we're calming down and we're going to bed. Um, Just keeping that, I was so tight on a schedule, especially when the twins and Grace were little. I mean, we had nap time was this time, lunchtime was this time. And could, did we go out of the marks a little bit? Yeah, but for the most part, we stuck with it. It kept me saying it gave me my time at night when they went to bed at 7 7 30 that I could sit and just breathe you know having things ready for the morning don't wake up and not know what you're going to wear or have the kids um, lunches ready to go water bottles backpacks lined up to where they're just grabbing them it seems like a lot but if you're doing it every day little by little it just becomes second nature yeah and with the kids they know the routine they know what's expected of them Um, and it's not, oh my gosh, where is this in the morning? Or I don't have my water bottle. Where's my lunchbox? Yeah. It's all set up, ready to go. Yeah. I think that's good advice. Cause I, um, I can be bad about preparing the night before for things. The last thing anybody wants for themselves or for their kids is like chaotic morning. It makes you off balance the rest of the day. And you feel bad having a rough morning and then sending them off to school. Like, is that going to affect the rest of their day? Are they going to be thinking about how awful the morning was? Because awful mornings happen. So if you can, yes, being calm, having that calm spirit, I think really your kids feed off of you. They feed off of your energy and they can feel it. If you're anxious, angry, it just sets the tone for things. Can we end on this thought 20 years after 9-11, 20 years after this experience that changed your life? What are, what are your thoughts reaching this, this moment in time? My experiences all across the board, whether military, nursing, being a mom, having kids, being married, all these things I always dreamed of are here. I've worked hard for them. Being a mom is probably my favorite. I always, I knew I always wanted to be mom. It's hard as heck, but even just talking to you now and remembering all the things that were so amazing um, and still are right now that they're older, it's, it's totally different, but it's still just as amazing with just the little jokes that you can say and they, they get, you know, or kind of just the looks you can give and they know exactly what you're thinking you're probably avoiding the news like everyone else on the planet, but any thoughts on what's happening right now in Afghanistan? We just had, you know, a dozen Marines killed. Which is devastating, especially, I mean, thinking of the um, lives we've lost. And I know it's, it is impacting um, a lot of people. I have a friend that's a neighbor, that's a Marine and he was overseas, you know, several years ago, but seeing, and it was, he was a Marine. He was in this similar to what the Marines were doing that were killed. It's, there are a lot of mixed emotions about what's happening too. I think with, um, we've worked so hard all these years and now what's happening, 
they want to feel like it was worth it, right? That they were over there and they fought so hard. And so, yeah, I'm praying for everybody. It does still touch, touch home really, um, really easily. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you would um, recommend that your kids join the military one day? Thank you for that question. Um, <laughs> I've talked about well, it. I could, see it. I could see it going either way, honestly. Yes. So I've talked about it and I would encourage them to do, to do it hundred percent. If that's where their heart was, I know that they would be well taken care of whatever they decide to do in the military. I don't know if I would recommend military police for my daughters. There are other avenues that they could take. And I just feel like I was never introduced to any of those. If I had gone into nursing in the military, I feel like I'd still be in the military right now and, or an officer by now, or I just wish I had known more. So thankfully I do know more now. And so if they do decide to make that decision, then yeah, I would support yeah. it 100%, maybe guide them a little more on what they choose to do. I think it was three years ago now that I went to San Diego for, um, the, the Marines were doing kind of like a PR mission where they were sending teachers to MCRD just so they could experience it and then share with, you know, any of their students, you know, who might be interested, that sort of a thing. So it was kind of like a recruiting PR sort of a situation. And so I went and it was, I want to say it was like five days. It was a long time, but we followed the teachers. They experienced, you know, a little bit of what, um, gosh, I'm going to say all the words wrong now. Cause I'm just like remembering this story, the boot camp. So the teachers yeah. like did some of these things in the boot camp and like off the bus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The off the bus into the room with all the phones. And it was, it sounds like I don't remember it, but I really do. (laughs) It was interesting because these teachers were doing all of these activities and, and, you know, everyone was laughing their way through it and things like that. But we never really saw the recruits very often until one day we saw them and they were doing um, what's known as like the crucible, which is like their big final thing that they have to do um, to earn their uh, pin. And, you know, these, it's like they're 18, 19 year old kids. They'd been hiking miles and miles and miles and they had these huge bags on and they're being screamed at by their drill instructors. And it was just like, you're just looking at these, the faces of these young men and you're just like blown away by their commitment and, and everything they were doing. Point of the story is like such a pivotal moment of my career was they allowed us to take some photos of the recruits as long as you couldn't see their faces. Okay. And they were very far away. Yeah. Anyway, but you know, they just really didn't want anybody to be identified. And so I took these, you know, these very far away photos and they were all sitting in this stall where they were doing some sort of training and they all had to take their boots off because they wanted to like see visually if they had blisters or injuries and things like Uh that. So they all took their boots off. So they're, you know, sitting there and they all had their boots off. And, and I posted this one photo on Facebook And I got instantly, instantly comments and messages like, is that my son? I think I can recognize his feet. I think I can see that's the way his knees are. Like these mothers who hadn't heard from their babies in weeks, you know, all I had to say with this was, this was M company. And they were like, I think that's my son's feet. You got to show me some more photos. I think that's his feet. It was like so humbling for me, this photo that you couldn't yeah. see anything, but like a few toes was 
such a comfort to yep. women all over the country and families all over the, it was, it was such a humbling moment. And my, my, my phone was going crazy with people messaging me, like, show me more, show me more, show me more. And it was like, uh-huh. I just was like on this bus and I was just like crying, getting these messages, like, holy crap, like these poor moms just want to know their babies are okay. And they recognize, you know, what they think is their son's feet. Yes. It was just, that means it was that just, they're there. They're yes. still doing okay. I know. Yeah. So, so after that experience, seeing like the Marines and, and the program, I thought, wow, like if my son wanted to do this, I think I would support them because it just seemed like, I don't know. It, yeah. It just, it really, really touched me to, to see, yeah. obviously there's a lot of sacrifice that comes along with it, but it was sort of like a, wow. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, long story, but, but it's, it's, it was a, a highlight of my yeah. career to be able to do that for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. So I always think about that, especially whenever Marines are in the news, I'm like, I I got to experience a tiny piece of that, you know, anything else that you want to say to um, wrap this thing up? I love that you have a three-legged cat. That just made me giggle. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Fritz. I love him. He's like a little dog slash kid. Katie, thank you so much. I was told that you were going to stumble over your words and you were going to be a disaster and you provided none of these things. So I've been lied to. Oh, thank you so much. It's been so easy. It was wonderful. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. I appreciate it. My thanks to Katie, and I just love all of the staff over at Revive. And they're not paying me to say this, you guys. I just think it's a great place in the Quad Cities, and I really believe that they care about their clients. There are incentives if you are a new mom. There are incentives if you get your prenatal or your um, regular yearly OB care over at the group. So it's just a very cool thing that they do for their clients. And um, so you can find them and all of the stuff that they're doing on Instagram, Revive at the group Med Spa. The show is also on Instagram at On a Mother Level. And I'm told that Revive is going to be doing something really cool just in time for the holidays. So you'll want to subscribe to them and figure out what they're doing over on their Instagram. And I'll just try to share it as much as I can over here on the pod as well on our Instagram page. Love supporting local business and local moms. And um, look, If this is your self-care, this is your self-care, even though I hate the word self-care, go get it. Um, Take care of your skin, take care of your face, and um, it's just just a little something for you. Anywho, you guys, thanks so much for listening to a brand new episode of On a Mother Level. When it comes to parenthood, we can relate. You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.